All right. Welcome to the podcast, my people. How are you? What's going on? Um, this is all about helping recruiting agency owners build their uh, recruiting agencies. Find more clients, make more money. But we're going to be getting into more fun content. We're going to be answering questions, um, maybe reacting to, to some videos, maybe other coaches reacting to some of their offerings, uh, getting into you know some, some other videos like Grant Cardone or something, maybe critiquing some stuff that he says and you know maybe some gurus see what's out there but this is all around uh, and based helping recruiting agency owners grow so check out the free facebook group it's linked down below if you're watching this on youtube or check out recruiterrocket.io it's linked there as well again that's recruiterrocket.io come join the community come hang out come join some of the live sessions but all right i wanted to answer this reddit question here Uh, i thought this was a, a great post and i'm going to be answering more so uh, drop comments in the YouTube, but it says, I want to start a recruiting agency. What are some general guidelines I should keep in mind is the title. Uh, and here's what they said. Hello, everyone. I'm currently in the process of investigating an idea to start my own recruiting firm in a particular job sector. Good idea, by the way. Stay in that niche. And I wanted to ask around and hear opinions from other people to see what I should be looking out for, or even if it's a good idea. I have ideas for services I'd like to provide. However, I have some concerns over how difficult some parts of the business would be. For instance, would finding candidates or companies willing to work with me be an initial hump to get over as I'm getting established? That's just one example. I'm open to what you all have to say and share. Thank you for taking the time to read. Okay, so some an important thing to note in that post is I went into the comments and they didn't have any experience in the space. So this video or this particular section of the podcast is aimed towards people that don't have any experience in this space. And I'm going to give you the three things that I would say to you if we're having a couple drinks at the bar and you're thinking about getting into the recruiting space because a lot of money can be made. You've always dreamt of being a business owner. So the the first thing or, or first factor that I would say to this person is be patient, but also be relentless. The barrier to entry to this space in recruiting and also like digital marketing, these these two spaces are very similar, is very low. You don't have to invest 500 grand into a bunch of equipment like in, if you're going to manufacture some products. You don't have to, you know, if you start e-commerce, you don't have to, you know, buy a whole bunch of product unless you're like doing drop shipping, but you don't have to invest in all that inventory. Very easy to get started. Get a website going. Get that professional email address going. Maybe buy premium LinkedIn for 100 bucks a month. Very simple to get started. But uh, what what this does is it it opens the door to a lot of people out there on YouTube or a lot of content creators that are trying to sell you something and overselling how easy this business could be when the truth is this is a very saturated market. You have to be strategic about getting into this space. You have to be smart about building a business that's going to have longevity because even all these coaches out there, I've I've talked about this before, is you can sense what they went through. They made a bunch of money initially. They had like this spurt of little success, but then they went through cold periods and they had a hard time getting over that hump. So what you need to do is be patient, but be relentless. And when I first started my digital marketing agency, that was way back. The best mindset uh, or the best characteristic that I had as a business owner. So I remember sitting down when I was making cold calls that first week is I thought, okay, if I can drive enough money to pay myself to cover bills, make enough money, but also make mistakes, 
uh, take some risks, spend some money, and then break even in year one and start to understand exactly what my value proposition was going into year two, knowing where to spend my money, knowing what my most valuable product was or MVP was, I would be very happy with that. Expectations were very realistic. Any business that you get into, including the recruiting agency world, you have to be patient. You have to understand starting a business, especially with no experience of knowing the industry of how to make money in this industry, you need to be realistic and be patient. But also, you need to be relentless. Those that are successful that uh, get through that first year and drive a bunch of money and make some money and drive revenue understand that they need to be persistent. They need to be relentless. They need to be relentless with their their learning, with learning from some of those mistakes, from a sales perspective, not taking no for an answer and making sure, hey, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it happen. There are no recruiting agency owners that do well that don't have that part of of their brain decided. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be relentless. I'm going to keep learning and keep pushing through this first year, but also have that aspect of being patient. So keep that in mind. Number two, you need to understand that sales is king for really any business and especially in the recruiting agency world. Um, Your revenue is going to be determined on your ability to sell. It's straightforward. You need to have a sales process in place. You really do. And this is a huge mistake that I see often is, you know, a lot of people just put automation into place or they start blasting out emails and they don't understand that the sales process is all about uh, setting tasks to to have a follow-up call or remind yourself to call those people in three months when they say, hey, not now, but we're planning on hiring in three months. In three months, you should have a list of 50 people that said that to you that you're going to circle back with and call or send a personalized video or even send an email, what you're going to find is out of those 50, you're going to start closing the five, seven, 10 extra clients just by staying on top of those people. That sales process is super important. You need to have it for all different stages. You need to be organized and you need to follow up with those people. It's very important. There's no system that's going to do it for you unless you're paying for an outsourced sales team or an outsourced sales, whatever. No email automation or LinkedIn automation is going to build your business for you. You and your sales process is going to build your business. Number three, have a focus and get paid for your service. So what do I mean by that in in particular? So if a prospective client, if you're on the phone with them, you know, you got a discovery call for them, you're a little bit nervous, you got the sweaty palms, they're, they're going to ask you that question. I had 10 recruiting agencies reach out to me this week. What specifically, why should I work with you? And by having a focus, when, when I have this question asked me, I let them know that recruiting sales executives in software and in cyber is a huge part of what I do. I'm reaching out to 50 people per day. I'm picking my favorites out of that 50. I'm building an incredible pipeline of killers, presidents, clubs, winners, people that have smashed records of, of you know, sales at their current companies and they're open to a change. They're looking for people like you and they're looking for, for teams like yours. Having that pitch and having a focus um, is going to allow you to, in the short term, start to really build an offering. You'll have candidates to actually sell. So it's like if somebody says, I'm hungry, and they're standing by the shore and they say, I only want bass, you already have the bass ready to sell. But what happens is as you grow in this direction is you get better at understanding the psychology of that that decision maker, but also the candidates. You understand the, the process a lot better for that one industry. 
but even bigger, you're going to be working on one pipeline of candidates. That's all you're going to do or you're, you're whatever, you're five to 10 if you decide to just go with an industry niche. But the idea is when you're doing that sourcing and you spend today and you find five to 10 really great candidates, if you don't have that niche in focus and you don't end up making a placement for that day of work that you did, and you don't plan on selling to prospects or clients that are hiring in that same space, that day of work is now work that is just tossed away. You cannot get paid for that work unless you find a duplicate client. So that's why it's important to stay in a niche. Pick one thing, dominate it, keep recruiting for those same candidates and find matches on the client side so it's not like close client, work on five roles, erase, find client, work five roles, erase. It's work on one role, find five clients and get paid from this one side of work. So keep that in mind. But I could talk about this a million ways over. I I have so many factors that I would throw out there for you to think about uh, if you're looking to get into this space. But those are probably the three things to really think about. It's the biggest mistakes that I see, the biggest downfalls that I see with a lot of recruiters out there. All right, so me and you, we're, we're sitting on this this porch. It's summer. It's it's nice and hot. We're having some adult bevies. We're having a couple of beverages. I might be having, you know, probably usually light beer. I'm kind of a basic bitch out there when I'm having beer. But, you know, we're, we're having a couple of drinks. We're talking about our recruiting agencies, how successful we've been. And uh, a kid approaches us. He's 14 years old. And he wants to start his own business. He heard from people in the neighborhood that we are business owners ourselves. And he says, hey, Eric, in your name, he says, I'm going to start a lawn mowing business. There's a lot of people in the next neighborhood, a lot of kids. I see them getting, you know, pretty balling uh, new football jerseys and they've got concert tickets. I want to build my own business and start balling out in the neighborhood and maybe get a new bike. And he's going to start a lawn mowing business. So he's got the lawn mower. He has to borrow our weed whacker. We give it to him because we're great. We want to see other people succeed. And um, he starts saying, you know, what, what's some advice that you could give me? And he says, here's my business model. Here's what I'm going to do. So all these other people are mowing lawns and get, getting paid for it or have other businesses, maybe lemonade stands, whatever. And I'm thinking, I'm just going to go to these people and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mow your lawn. If it's not as good as the industrial uh, landscaping business that you're already using, adults with huge pieces of equipment, they're great at edging the lawns, they're incredible at uh, you know putting fertilizer, whatever. They're so good at what they do. I'm going to let these people know that you only pay me unless I do it better than them after the job is done. And he says, I already found 15 people that have agreed to this. So it's contingency-based. So I think you know where I'm going with this. It's very similar uh, to, to recruiters. He comes back to us a week later and he says, I did 15 lawns and I only got paid for one. So first thing here is it's a win because he made a little money. He learned something from that experience. But if we're going to give him honest feedback, we're going to tell him, hey, kid, you can't be going out there. Uh, if you're going to be contingency based, the, the hardest thing about that type of business is when you close somebody, when you find a prospective buyer or a house owner, you got to make sure that they're going to end up buying, end up paying you for your services. Because if you close 15 houses, you have to allocate services to the houses. You have to spend time on those houses if you're going to mow them. So if you're going to continue down this path of contingency-based services, you got to make sure that you, you raise your likelihood of getting paid. 
And maybe this this way of, of starting his business is a bad analogy. Maybe he gets paid three times as much as another kid who mows lawn, right, or something. There's got to be um, a big payout at the end, like like recruiting agency owners. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is the kid who has started his own lawn mowing business is I see a lot of people just flexing their $5 million pipeline out there. And a lot of times you see that $5 million pipeline and they only made seven grand this month or 11 grand. You might as well get a full-time role working 40 hours a week in the recruiting space if that's going to be all you're making is the seven grand because you can easily make six figures and get a base salary in, in the recruiting space and not have to deal with working 80, 90 hours a week and having the stress of the business. It's, it's a lot better to have a pipeline that has clients in it that, again, are more likely to pay you. So clients that candidates really want to work for. Whenever I get an AI company or just a, a fast growth software company that just raised 75 million bucks, uh, they have a good leader, they have a good reputation, the the work that I do with sourcing sourcing candidates just goes a lot better. I always get paid at a much higher uh, higher rates. Um, I'm making more placements. It's just a lot easier. If you're just closing whoever, you're sending out automation, you're getting bites and you're closing contracts, now you have to allocate your time to those clients and what you're going to find and what a lot of people do find is they do a ton of work for little return. So a pipeline is very important to pay attention to, yes, um, but what, what salespeople mean when they're talking about pipelines is when I was in software sales, I would reach out to Disney. I would reach out to Expedia. I would reach out to IBM. You would call in, try to generate these relationships and try to set up a demo for the software. It would be a half a million bucks or a million bucks for them. They would have 200, 500 users or whatever, enterprise system. Um, so you get them on, you show them the demo of the software. You know that this deal with any large company is gonna take like six to 18 months. Um, next, you would travel out there, have a meeting, meet a lot of the team, pitch the product to more of the team, uh, chat with procurement, a lot of the departments to make sure it's the right decision. And in 12 months from now, we may be having a sales meeting and I'll say, I have a $50 million pipeline. So I have 27 accounts in this pipeline that started 12 months ago. So they're right in the closing window, 12 to 18 months. Here's the value of that pipeline. And I know from that perspective, um, that probably whatever, you know, 10 to 20% of these deals are going to close. That's going to equate to a certain amount of money. Um, one month I may close zero. Next month I may close 10. Next month I may close three. But we know a certain percentage over the course of the year will close as long as my pipeline keeps growing and getting bigger and I'm pitching more companies. In the recruiting space, this is absolutely not the case. When you're talking about pipelines, the biggest problem is it's like selling the software and me having that you know, book of, of uh, prospective clients, uh, Disney, a ABC, you know, uh, Expedia, and then me taking everybody in the company, customer success, the software engineers, and taking that service and applying it to all of those clients. It's crazy, and it's even crazier if the quality of those clients isn't good, if the likelihood of them paying me isn't very good. So in the sales space, a lot of BDRs will be working, a lot of entry-level salespeople, setting up those meetings for AEs. And account executives will say, a lot of times this, this entry-level guy is amazing. All the demos are great. They're all decision makers. They're high likelihood of um, you know getting to the next stage. A lot of people will set up 
demos with businesses that are just not big enough. It's like 500 people, they don't have the budget. And if your pipeline is full of those people, it doesn't matter who you are at the other end, it's gonna be a waste of time. It doesn't matter how good of a salesperson you are, it is a waste of time. So in recruiting, what you need to make sure of is don't get blinded by a huge pipeline of opportunities. You need to focus on high quality clients and if they're all very high quality clients and you have a massive pipeline, you're golden. And especially if they're all duplicate roles. So if you have 57 of the same exact role and you go and you do a day of work sourcing candidates and you find 10, the likelihood of you making money off of those 10 is incredible. So don't get caught up in pipeline stuff. Um, a lot of times, like I said, it's a lot better to have one or two incredible clients, especially at the beginning, who keep you paid than running around like a chicken with their head cut off, um, working on too many roles. All right, so what actually makes top billers in recruiting top billers? And when I first got started with Bendigo, so if you're not familiar with that, that story, basically what it was is I closed a bunch of tech companies, posted the roles on the split board, and I wanted other recruiters to come and find roles to work on and you know make placements and make a lot of money doing it. And we had some amazing, amazing roles in there that paid people commissions of like 12 grand, 15 grand, even like 20 grand for a couple roles too. And we talked with so many recruiters, so many boutique agency owners, and I really wanted to get in the heads of so many people in this market, so many recruiters as well as employers. I wanted to better understand, you know, the common problems, who's really good at this, you know, what is it that makes great recruiters tick and the ones that make a ton of money. And I really boiled it down to three main things, which in essence pointed towards one very specific action. And I'm gonna let you know what I mean by that. But you know, the, the first factor is I never really had to explain anything to these recruiters that performed well with how to sell the company, with um, you know, just the things about the job description. If I put enough into the job description, if I knew it was you know, plenty. You, you knew what kind of a candidate you needed to get. I never had to explain what does this one phrase mean or, you know, where where is the company in terms of the marketplace? These recruiters always basically just didn't create more problems or didn't pull more time for me and understand that I was already spread thin. I can't spend time on recruiters to handhold them through any basic shit all for a lot of times just just for nothing. So, Factor one is just recruiters that didn't have to be handheld through some basic stuff. Yes, you need as much information as you can in terms of how to sell the company and the role and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, these recruiters were just getting on 10, 15 minute phone screens. They were submitted candidates that really just took care of business. But um, factor two, that brings me right into what I just mentioned is all candidates were were incredible matches. And I just pitched this client or prospective client like two weeks ago and it's been such a battle to try to pull them in. I really hit it off well with the the one woman who was a director of talent or whatever, and she was trying to get me in there. But there's four or five people on that team that were just like stiff arming me, saying, you know, we just work with five recruiters and we've been through this process plenty of times. We really don't feel like dealing with it for, you know, the sixth time over the past three months. The pull you in just to see you underperform. And keep in mind, there was no monthly fee. This is just contingency based. They just had to sign a contract and sp spend the time to review my candidates that were hopefully matches. And I'm still chasing them down because I really want to work with them. Any great company that is going to be 
you know, great for candidates to pitch to. I'm always going to chase them down. But it just goes to show you that so many recruiters, nine out of 10, and I've seen this in the Ben Dago platform, they just constantly are missing the mark. It's, it's like candidates that, you know, we want a quarterback and they're sending running backs and they're like, well, maybe this is a pretty good fit. You know, you should give them a shot. And it's, you know, just, just the constant missing the mark. What these, what these great recruiters do is they send people from similar companies, similar job titles, people that just are on the short list right away. You submit them, they're interviewing because it's just a really, really good at good match. Uh, and factor three is these recruiters, they they keep things really simple. And this is kind of outside of the, the first two factors here. But they, they tend to have like this burst of effort at the beginning where, you know, they just they jolt for like a week and they put effort into the couple roles that, that they say they're going to work on. And if it doesn't move, if the employers are not valuing their, their candidates, they value themselves um, and keep in mind, their candidates are actually very good. I, there's a lot of recruiters out there that have a misconstrued idea of the quality of their work. These people know they make a lot of money um, and they end up moving on and they actually take control in those relationships and basically say to employers, you know, or even me when I'm building my split board, uh, saying, hey, I'll work for you hard and I'll, I'll send you the money makers, the people that are going to get placed. But if you're not going to move, you're not going to get me because I got plenty of people over here and plenty of employers that are going to value my work. So they take control of that. And, you know, with with those three factors, I, I really studied up on this split board when I was working with literally hundreds of recruiters. It's such a tiny percentage of people that were hitting home runs constantly. And I tried to get closer to them to really understand what they were doing. And what they were doing was headhunting. It's, it's, so, it's so simple. And, and I, what I learned from them, and I was already doing a version of this, but you know what I do now is I create a list of candidates, um, usually through LinkedIn. I usually type in very similar companies and I add the similar job titles and I keep adding keywords until I get like, usually 100, 150 people. And then I'll spend that hour reaching out to these people and really picking my favorite 25 and doing what I can to flag them down and get their attention and putting in the extra effort with those people that are top tier. And I started doing this and I started to realize that that one hour of work that I'm doing replaced the other eight that I do with Boolean searches or blasts or all this other stuff because with those big searches or blasts or automation, with those specific things, what I'm getting is not a lot of responses from the top performers, the President's Club winners, the the candidates that are just like perfect matches. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take all that effort uh, of responding to these candidates and these people, and I'm just going to put it over here for one to two hours. And every single time that I submitted five or 10 candidates that um, I got from that work, they always ended up interviewing very quickly. Um, they ended up just, they were basically on that short list of finalists so often. And employers and myself, so with the split board, uh, I started to value those recruiters because I just knew that those candidates were alleviating risk for my clients. The clients knew that these were people that were in the industry. They knew how to speak to targets uh, they knew what was expected of of the space. They spoke the same language. They were they were able to hit the ground running. Not much training was going to have to be provided. They're more likely 
according to multiple studies, to stay longer with that company. So that was the biggest value is they're not wasting time. They're submitting candidates that hit the mark. And yeah, those those recruiters, man, they always end up making more money be, mainly because of that. But also, you know, clients keep circling back with them and want to work with them again and again and again and again. Um, and that's that's the key to having a good business is just straight up having a good service and understanding the employer, not creating more problems. All right. So the sure way uh, to get clients in this space, uh, this is a, a topic that I, I talk about quite a bit. Um, and this is the the biggest factor here with starting your recruiting agency and just, you know, growing a really good agency. Um, you know, and if you're if you're making placements in this space, you're, you're making twenty, forty thousand dollars for each placement, and you need to make sure that you know you're keeping that that uh, ball rolling there. Um, but you need to get clients that are hiring. Um, and how do you get them? How do you get high quality clients? There's one thing in common with all of these programs and all of these sales professionals that are really good. There, there's one thing that they all have, um, and one thing that they all do. So if we're in a sales room of you know, really good sales professionals in the recruiting space. We're all going to be talking about things that are working, things that are not working, different, you know, oh, I've been using this and it's been killing it with certain prospects. And this has been getting me more meetings. Another person will say, and we're trying to build from each other and try to understand what's working. And we could all be inside the same company, literally working under the same infrastructure with all the same tools, with all the same automation, all of that stuff. And we're going to each have a different way of approaching next steps. And you're going to see a lot of programs out there, a lot of strategies, a lot of different avenues of what to use. Here, you know, use this messaging, use this, use that. And all of them work. If you remember uh, these, these things here is automation versus personalized touch. So if you think about this, companies are going to have marketing departments that We'll have webinars or give stuff to give away to targets. And we're just going to assume that you don't have a way to generate leads um, from marketing and budgets and stuff like that. So sales leaders, what they're going to understand is you are going to be doing some, some basic cold, hard sales. Um, they're going to do two things. So they're going to say, we're going to, we're going to either send out blasts uh, via emails or we're going to have LinkedIn automation. Uh, and then we'll have our sales professionals or you just chase those leads down. So you're going to send out the same emails and automation. And a lot of people, what they're not doing is taking those leads, you know, from uh, some that may be lukewarm all the way to hot. You're not following up with those leads or having a process after the fact that shows your value and also understands that it takes a, it takes six to 10 times, sometimes 15, 20 times for you to close a client that's going to be worth it on your end. You need to have that follow-up in place. Uh, and then, you know, option number two is they'll just give you a sales list or Zoom info and they'll say, you do the 100 activities. We're not going to email blast. We're not going to do the LinkedIn automation. I'm going to just pay you to do sales all day long. And that that's going to work. It's definitely going to work if you're putting the activity out there and understanding you need to keep following up. You need to have at least 100 activities a day. All the approaches are going to work, but you need to understand the personalized touch aspect of this is what's going to help you win over clients, whether it's calling, whether it's videos, whether it's just adding better stuff to your emails in general. 
you need to have the person doing that sales work. I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but it's something to think about. All right, this is the first podcast I've done where I'm just kind of rambling. We're gonna chop this up and see how it does. Other than that, go check out the free Facebook group. I'm gonna go get a workout in. Um, have a good weekend, everybody.